Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your guide on the side. Today, you're accepting, or what are we calling it? Your acceptance coach. You know, if you're a parent, you got to accept your kids, right? You can't just uh, get rid of them once they're here. Well, you know, you can get rid of them once they're 18. <laughs> you can try. It doesn't work that way. Welcome to the program, everybody. Again, on... Uh, on this show, we try to give you the tools, the skills, a leg up on this crazy thing we call uh, life. Most of us didn't come with an owner's manual. Sure, would have been a lot easier if we had just been born with our cute little chubby bodies and as Skyboy has, chubby little hands and small baby teeth. Um, <laughs> that's going to become his bad description of what he looks like. Because he doesn't have chubby hands at all. He has very he has very thin, uh, was it wispy hands? Wispy Wispy hands. He's not here today, so we're talking about him. Yep. That's uh, his but, problem. But Bryce Tobin's here. I'm here. And I um, care. Commenting on his hands, on Sky's hands. Wispy. He has very strong fingers, okay? He's okay. a strong fingered, wispy board operator who runs the show. Today, Aaron's filling in, not like Aaron can really fill in, right, Aaron? I, I will never replace Skyboy. He yeah. is. You don't have wispy hands. No, I don't have a cape. Either. You don't have a cape. You don't wear a I, unitard. I want one. See, but this is the cool reason why we're doing today's show. Because we accept Sky. We don't care that he's kind of a freak show, a sideshow. It would be easy to, to point and stare and laugh yeah. and, and like, make fun. Look at Mr. Wispy hands. But we don't do that because we like Sky. And whether we like him or not, we just accept him. He is our board op. Okay. And I actually feel a love for Sky, which I can only share because he's not here. And this is, you know, if he was here, it would be harder it'd because be awkward. It would be hard to do. Well, and then he'd cry, <laughs> yeah, because he's very emotional. And crying is not that great on radio. <laughs> on TV, not, I'm sure it's great. It makes bad not on radio. radio. Radio, it's messy and noisy. Well, we love you too, Aaron. Didn't you get a love gram? Was that he, from he you? Matt? Got a love gram. That was from you, right? Not from me. No, it was from his apparently Kate? girlfriend. Kate. Was it Kate? I don't get love Kelly? grams. Kelly? So no. It was a K Shoot. word, yeah. You, you don't get a love gram? I'm not. Yeah, Skyboy well, is on a new level. Skyboy is loved by somebody that's anonymous still, I think. Someone who likes Capri Suns. Yeah. Sky was given a Capri Sun from a woman named Kate. And who were the cookies from? Or the cookie brownie thing? Those are from um, uh, one of the shows, another show. Oh, from another. Oh, Bruce. Kim. Kim. It's yeah. from Kim. Yeah. Kim Stilson. Kim Power Stilson brings him treats, and then that's why he gets mad at me. Now, here's what I say. Just accept me. Just just accept me because I'm a guy that's not going to bring you treats, but just love me for who I am. I'm I not mean, Kim Power Stilson. His frugality is part of who Matt is. Yeah. I'm, it's actually not even – I, I would probably not care. I'd buy whatever. It's not even being frugal. It's – I have no time. If I stop, I would be late to the show. So if I stop to get something and if I actually planned – then I would eat it before I got here. So what it is is I lack self-control. Just love me. Just accept it. Wait. I cannot self-regulate. I can't regulate enough to get here on time and buy treats. And if I had treats, I can't regulate myself to not eat the treats. Just love me. My mom does. My mom quit trying to make me something <laughs> that I can't be. Your mom threw in the towel. Uh -huh. My wife has tried for 23, 22 years. 
She can't do it. So the rule, accept. Just accept. So should you just accept? That's the question. Should you just accept your kids the way they the way they are? But when is it accepting? When is it giving up? When is it okay? Because because yeah. there's accepting. Okay, yeah, and there's sure. being cool with you know someone showing up to work in tights, a dude showing up to work in tights. Okay, hold on. You said there's something cool about that. We're referring to Skyboy, right? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, Sky. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. So we accept that in Sky. We accept that and a cape. Because if you showed up in tights without a cape, weird. A little weird. Totally weird. At that point, it's spandex, and that's a bit yeah. um, 280s for me. Hmm. Right. But when is it like giving up? When is it like like there's accepting and being okay with someone with how someone is, and then there's just like, I don't feel like putting in the effort. Like lazy. Like lazy. How's that? Yeah. Well, see, that's – I think there that right there is the crux of every parenting dilemma. <laughs> When do I give up? <laughs> when do I give up? Is my child just being my being them? Are they just manifesting who they are or are they just being a lazy bum? Which is also asking the question, is this something I can fix or mm-hmm. will I be, be- right. beating my head against the wall? That's exactly right. See, I think that's the that's the rub in parenting. Because odds are if it really is who they are, what are you going to change anyway? Oh, I'm no. I'm going to get them. To get up every morning and like it. That's not going to happen. I have kids. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter if we were going to Disneyland. They would not be getting up and liking it. Period. So at some point, we just got to accept this kid just doesn't like getting up in the morning. Just start getting them up two hours before the rest of them. Right. That's about right. Cause, but I have a son that just needs the slow, the slow rise, we call him. Gotcha. He just needs a little slow. He's like dough. Uh huh. He's like dough, and you you just need to like turn on his light. Honestly, if you turn on his light and probably turn on some music, that'll that's the slow rise. That'll get him. He'll start to open his eyes. But I have other kids that are fast rise, and the minute you just walk in the room, they pop their head up like a little gerbil, like oh 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 oh, oh oh, and he's all over it. I push snooze like three times. See, you're a slow today. riser, are you? Mm. What time did you go to bed last night? Maybe that's the problem. Two uh, thirty. Hey, a, me too. Wow. Okay. See, that's the problem with you youngins. High five, Bryce. You young Insomnia. people <laughs> stay up too late. So yours is actually just a lack of discipline. This isn't really well. well I had yes. important things to do. Really? Yes. Video games. They are. <laughs> they're, not gonna, they're not going to play themselves. No. See. Okay. See. So that is something as a parent. Then I would try to fix. I would fix that. And you know, that's easy to fix. You just. Cut your power cord. You know what? There's a breaker box in the back. You can just flip Blow the big it. switch. Oh, sorry. It's like it's all gone. Power's gone. No sorry. more power. There's no more power. They ran out. We blew the television. <laughs> but see, my kids, if we supposedly blew our television up, they would just – they wouldn't even move to another TV. They, they're just like – they wouldn't do that. They'd, they'd stay just, there. They'd pull out their devices and start with that. Yeah, they'd just give that thing up. So batteries have ruined kids. Yeah. Where they no longer tethered to – Yeah. See? You've thought this through. Yeah. It's a battery. It's acceptance. So can you just sit there, think out there in listener land. Do you accept your child for who they are? And I mean, I've seen people that, for example, um, their child was showing signs of autism. They would not accept it. They would not accept the indicators of autism. They went to a million experts. The experts were all pretty much diagnosing them as autistic. Wouldn't accept it. Well, okay, let's okay uh, for years. Let, let's let's play out that scenario, okay? I'm, I'm wondering what the train of thought on that is. So, let's say 
so so we're trying to figure out if if the if your kid is or isn't autistic. Right. Okay. Um, let's say the kid is not autistic. autistic. Let's say the kid isn't. All right. You go through all these tests. You go through all this stuff, and then you find out at the end, nope, he's not. Kids, 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 okay. He's just different. What I mean, what's the downside of that? Mm, if, if the kids, if the kids old enough, they might catch, you know, catch yeah. wind of what's going yeah. on. Which uh, I'm sure that can be a little traumatic, and that might be a little weird for him. But you know, well, but there might be other signs like, but he's not speaking yet, and he's four. Yeah. See, so that... there, so there's something else going on because there's some indicator that you know something's going on. So we're looking for a solution, is what yeah. people would be thinking. And and so then and then let's say the kid is autistic. Which it sounds like the kid. Yeah, this kid is was. autistic. Um, Later, we find out. Uh, if you just accept that, if you just kind of give in to that reality, yeah. then you can start solving the problem. Yeah. Yep. But see, this person didn't want an autistic child. It really wasn't even exactly about that child. It was about the parent not wanting that reality for that child. So I think this goes into all of our parenting relationships. Like, what if all of a sudden, this used to be a big deal years ago. Uh, two minorities, different minorities, different uh, different race groups dating. Yeah, you know some parents wouldn't have that. Blasphemy! You cannot <laughs> intermingle. Thanks, the sixties. Right? So it's a it's a pretty big deal. So all of a sudden we don't accept it. So for years it seems like as humans we've been not integrating, and we like to find a reason to not accept. Now the problem is. Okay, I guess that makes sense when it's warring religions, sure, or yeah. warring um, groups. I don't know, or racial ta- groups. Thousand years wealthy ago, wealthy Italian families. Yes, you know Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> I thought you were talking the mafia. Oh, uh, I know that works too. And they're not all too. Italian. Um, but in the end, what I have found though is we usually don't even accept our kids' differences, let alone. Someone else's differences. Like this kid, my, my child doesn't want to play sports? Nah. Yeah. No, no, no. Nah, he totally wants We're to. a sports family. We are a sports Townsends don't do math. Townsends don't do math. We don't do math. We're not a math family. We're a sports family. You caught your son with the calculator once. Mm. Yeah. Hey, yeah, put that calculator away. Are you a Townsend or aren't you? We, don't, we do not accept that in our family. So here we sit in a, um, in a world where... For some reason, it's natural for us to kind of exclude as many people as we can, yet we're trying to raise children. And the minute they bring a big difference to our family, like the one that – I have a son that is incredible musically, but he's the one that won't get up in the morning. So struggles with schoolwork but is in heaven, can play music forever. So am I supposed to accept that? Or am I supposed to make that boy learn math, even though Townsend's don't do math? Uh, well, I would say music is math. So you need – his mm. math is there. It's just not in calculus. It's, it's a hard – I mean he, he has got something. He, that's his gift. His gift is he doesn't even read music that well, but he plays everything by ear. Let him – and he can play any instrument. So you give him the guitar long enough, he's just figured out the guitar. He's figured out the ukulele. He's figured out a cajon. What is that? It's a box drum. Box drum. Okay. That you just kind of sit. I'm the exact same way. I love music. I am terrible at math. I love radio. I don't know if it's something See, in the you're brain or 
what, but I'm the same way. You're you're warped. I'm just warped. I'm, Aaron, we've been telling you that for years. Okay. You're warped. Well, now I know why. Do your parents, are your parents okay with those differences? Or do they, they sit there and they think? Because our son's so different that like we're like, why don't, why don't you get up and go call friends? Just go call friends. And he's like, what? We relax. Like, Dad, it's five in the morning. Come yeah. on. Like, what are my friends doing? It's interesting. They made me sleep outside a couple of times because of... Because you play too loud of yeah, music? Yeah. Well... You don't play that rock and roll music, do you? Uh, that noisy stuff? See, that's another yeah. thing. Parents don't accept that. But it's interesting. Every generation brings a new kind of form of music, too. That's that just... Uh, parents ugh, that music. Ugh, uh, this generation, it's dubstep. Uh-huh. Yeah. Good uh-huh. stuff. Good stuff. It's great stuff. Oh. Uh, yeah. Dubstep. I only know one dubstepper that I actually get. Hannah Bradshaw played a dubstep on the show, did she not? Who's the that? M- the MR. Oh, she did? The MRI thing. I did. Right. I, was yeah. that a dubstep music? Yeah. yeah That's dubstep. Down. There you go. Yeah. See, no, I only know one dubstepper. What is it? It's Lindsay Sterling, but she's a violinist that does little dubstep. Yeah, she she tosses yeah. it in there. I know. See, then. that's I mean, I'm that's how non hip I am. That's very. But you know what? I'd accept it. Whatever. You're, you're fine with Lindsay and her. But so think about that. What would you not accept? And again, like, what if all of a sudden your child doesn't want to believe in a god and they believe there's no god? They're they're godless. Do you accept that? Is it them or is it? See, it's interesting, right? It's their view. But what if you're coming from this devout family and you just really believe in a God? Shouldn't you and your God be able to accept the people that don't believe in God? And maybe they really don't even believe. Maybe they just don't know, but they're just trying to stretch how much you'll love them. Hmm? Always watching my parents has been more strong than hearing them say something to me, their example. So if they keep acting and doing what they believe to be true— then I'll either take that or not, but it's stronger than hearing it forced yeah. down my throat. Well, and again, if your child all of a sudden doesn't believe in a God, what are you supposed to do but love them? I guess you could control them slowly to but it, force them to. And as we all know, controlling other people. Very good plan. People love it. People love it when it's you do It's the number that. one way to have them rebel. Yes. It's actually probably the mo- the strongest way to and, get and the they, opposite they, result. They go into the underground. So today on the show, that's what we're talking about. Acceptance. How do you love your children, accept what they're going through, you know, and as a parent, try to understand them instead of like segregating them or trying to control them? How do we do that? Also, how do we um, uh, how do we also not just accept it, but how do we know when we need to push a little harder sometimes? How do we make those uh, those more clear to us as uh, parents? We've got a great, great expert coming on to talk to us. Andrew Solomon is going to be joining us in a few minutes. Uh, he is a New York Times bestselling author, wrote the book Far From the Tree, Parents, Children, and the Search for Identity. He's also been a Pulitzer Prize winning finalist in some other books that he's written. We're coming back. Uh, uh, to talk about accepting your children. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we are talking about the importance as a parent of acceptance and uh, accepting your children uh, from where they're coming from, from their their part of life, their position in life. 
And we have an awesome, awesome guest that will be joining, joining us uh, one break from now, Andrew Solomon, who's the author of Far From the Tree, Parents, Children, and the Search for Identity. He's a Pulitzer Prize uh, winning nominee and uh, is just a best-selling author, incredible um, blogger and journalist as well. So we'll be joining with him in about 10 minutes or so. But first, our own Bryce Tobin is joining us back again, talking acceptance. Now, here's the deal. Answer me this, okay. Bryce. Okay. So um, this weekend, I did a lot of moving of, Were, of children in bedrooms. I moved like four bedrooms, did four you, rooms. Was this the like now that daughter's gone yes. and son is away? Yes. Everyone's like, the okay, shift. come on, dad. I'm sick of being in the bunk uh, bed. Everyone wants, room the, with him. everyone wants their own beds now. So we actually got rid of bunk beds. We moved everyone. I still have two boys that share a room just because they're almost twins. Even yeah. Though they're a few years apart. But um, – Here's the deal. I pulled every muscle in my body. All of them. Both of them. Both muscles. I pulled them left and right, and they hurt. So I've decided sometime in the near future, in the next little while, I'm going to start going to the gym. Good choice. Good idea. Simply because I think my tendons in all of my joints haven't been stretched for a while. So all my actual – I feel my tendons hurting. Gotcha. Okay, you with me? I'm with you. Now, here's my problem. I've been to a gym, and I don't feel accepted at a gym. Okay. Because they look at me like, what are you doing here? Well, first off, are you wearing the right clothes? I don't know. Okay? Because I wear leg warmers that go up to my knees. Okay. Hey, got to keep those legs warm. <laughs> my legs get very cold. No, I don't know what to wear, A. When I get there, I don't know what to do, B. Uh... And then, a, see, I hate all of it. <laughs> it's, yeah. Okay. And D. I understand that. I don't want to pay for it, let alone pay for some extra. So here's my problem. I'm going to go do it, but there's a weird culture at the gym that I don't feel accepted in. Well, because there's always, like, as dumb as it is, there is, like, you have to be wearing the right clothes. Like, apparently see, now, crazy. now the gym culture is your, your shirt has to be has to be sleeveless, but also <laughs> ripped from like where your sleeve is like down halfway of the shirt. Okay, which I think the function in that is it's you know it doesn't constrict. I think it's to let and my it, um, lats have air jut out because my lats are so big <laughs> that they need to poke out underneath gotcha. my sleeve. No, I, I'm sure it's for like it it's you know keeps you cool, more, more holes in your clothes, but yeah. like. They don't make shirts like that. No. Everyone rips their own shirts. Well, there's a reason they don't. It's because they're ugly. Well, yeah. It's their, it's their old nasty I shirts. don't want to wear a ripped shirt. Okay? I just want to wear a shirt that says Adidas, and I want to take my Ironman triathlon watch that look, makes it look like I run Ironman triathlons, and then I just want to get in my shorts and go pretend to run and work out. And see, you can do that. That's what I want. But everyone will know that, that the just... last time you were in a gym was in the 90s. Yeah. Is that bad? No, because we all got to get into it. See, like, that's the problem. With everything you want to go start doing, you, you look dumb. Like, you, yeah. I'd like to – I really would probably like to buy a gun and go shoot guns. Oh, would you? Because it's interesting you mentioned that because my entire uh, – Are you a gunman? I mean, hypothetically. Am I a gunman or a gunman? <laughs> do, you like to, do you like to shoot guns? I do. I rather enjoy it. I feel like it's a possibly a useful skill. Yeah. Potentially a useful skill. I don't skill. even think of it as a skill. 
I think of it as just super fun. Well, I mean, you know, if at any point you should need to use a gun, um, you know, it's a good thing to know how to use. My Hopefully wife probably wouldn't even to. let me have it in the house or in my car or in my possession or own one. Which, that's that's the funny thing that was going on in my family is my dad was very not guns. He was, nope, no guns. My mom, she, she'll never admit it, but she's from uh, middle of nowhere in New Mexico. So she's really cool with guns. Yeah. Um, but we were, we were a no gun family, yeah. you know, kids in the house. Let's not do that. Um, but recently, for some reason, kids are all gone. Um, my dad's just like, I want to get into guns. I want to do that now. So you guys started gun so, shopping. So yeah, so he bought a pistol, he bought a shotgun, but like, there's not, it's not obvious. Like there's... You don't have a rack on your truck? Uh, not yet. I don't know, should we? Is do that, you have a truck? Uh, technically, yeah. I wouldn't call your car. Yours is an SUV. Mine's an SUV, I guess, yeah. So my it's dad a has truck. a very similar SUV. You need a gun rack. I guess you do. I've, I've seen. What it. are the good gun racks? I I don't know. I just go check on someone's truck and buy one. Gotcha. Like go see a truck you like. You know what else you need? Camo. You need some All camouflage. Camo. Just any. And you need to hang hang an orange hat or vest. Orange vest from yes. the gun rack because then it looks like you hunt. Because then because I came from hunting, yeah. I wanted to make sure see, I thought that of, the I thought animals didn't run me over. If you do that, you're in the culture. Are you though? Cause well, you got to be able to fire a gun. Well, you know. Do you know how to do that? I do know how to do that. I'm very good at that. Um, you did tell us about a shopping experience about the gun. So so here's the thing. It's not – it's sort of a – you got to know it Yeah. to know what's going on. Well, you're buying a gun. Yes. So you can't go in there and say, I don't know. Well, no, that's exactly what we did. We went there, hey, we want guns. We are clueless, which I think is a very humble yeah. – it's a very humble approach to the yeah. situation because guys are like, yeah, I want a gun. Could I get that one right there? See, they know. But they, see, they know they're going hunting and they know if it's pheasant. Yeah. They know if it's deer. They know what they're hunting. I'm like, bullet goes in, animal falls yeah. down. Like what? See, I would ask, what is your goal? And you would say – Target shooting. Target. See, that's different. Yeah. Then I – you know. Maybe you don't need a shotgun. Or I guess we don't need, you know, a steel pellet, non-lead pellets, yeah. 40 gra- – I don't know what yeah. the number – anyway. But we so, – so we're going shopping and we're buying stuff. And the guy we're with, he's pretty understanding. He's trying to – He's making a sell. Well, he's trying to dazzle us with his knowledge. And we're both like, you work at a sporting goods store – yeah. Uh, good luck. Does right? this gun fire? Yeah. That's yeah. all you care about. Yeah. We're like, does, does it we, shoot things? Does it, does it make the targets go black? Like, <laughs> um, we just wanted to. And so at one point we were going to get some rounds for a shotgun and there was some detail of it based on whatever the shotgun yeah. that we have and, and based on whatever we're getting that it yeah. needs to be compatible. Right. We, we don't know that. Yes. And so one guy says, oh, hey, do you want this or this? And you're like, blue. Or like, yes. You and then know. like this one guy turns. You looked like a newbie. Yeah, exactly. Total noobs. Total noobs. This guy turns to me. He's like, you don't know that? And I just like. Did you go off? I was like, you had to learn sometime too. Whoa. Which around a whole bunch of guns. Yeah, dumb. A bunch of people who That's I'm going to assume know more about guns Plus, than Plus, he's probably the guy with the gun rack out in the parking he lot. He probably has four gun racks. In fact, yeah. his car is probably just gun racks yeah. with wheels. It's just a rack. Yeah. Yeah. So you felt ostracized because you were trying to be in a culture you're not a member of. Yeah, yeah. Because I made the mistake of trying to – because we See, made the mistake of trying to, to become part huge. of something. No, that's huge. See, that's why I felt the same thing running the triathlon. Well, I haven't run it yet, but that I might run a triathlon because you know I go to the gym and if I just flash my Ironman watch – 
No one seems to care. In fact, they're like, uh, "Do you have a subscription? Do you have a, a membership here? You just pull yeah. up the watch, and they'll yeah. be like, who cares? Yeah. Like, Who's if you run, it? have you run an Ironman? I'm like, no, but I run with my Ironman every day. And they're like, good enough. We accept. See, that's the problem with our cultures, because our cultures are not quick to just let someone in. And and I guess, so, so the point, the thing I would like to say is. Okay, what's your point? If you are involved in something and you see someone starting, if you get the, the vibe that someone's beginning, yeah. they're annoying. We all know. Yeah, We're all new. part of something. They're new. It's annoying. They're yeah. going to do dumb things. They're going to, like like Matt is the gym. They're going to show up in their shorts and their yeah. Adidas shirt and their headband. Uh-huh. And. Um, and my white. Uh, your your white, socks white socks that go. And white shoes. Yeah. Yeah. And the, I think the wrong thing to do is be like, hey, look at this guy who's working out. What a dummy. Yeah, <laughs> see? I think, Open uh, them up. Be nice. Show I, them how to use the equipment. Accept them. Hey, you know why else? I think I'd be, I promise you I'll be the only guy wiping off the machine. Oh, yeah. Like when I go to the gym, I don't do that. Like who does that? I wipe it before I get on and after because you know why? I'm new. Well, you're new, and also uh, maybe someone else in new will see you, and they won't know how new you are, and they'll start doing that. And then people will finally start wiping down machines. I'm part of the problem, but I'm not fixing myself. So this is more than guns and machines. This could be if you, if you are at a church and someone comes in and obviously doesn't belong, you don't reject them. You don't yeah. laugh at them. You just love them. Yeah. Or if it's school, if it's the first time in school. Or I remember going to school with a woman that was like 55 and I was 20 and I'm like, what are you the, doing Wait, here? you mean the senior senior or yeah. the senior freshman? The senior freshman. The senior freshman. But like that should be really cool that you know what? See, we just need to accept. It's like we ought to do a show on this. You can change the world if you accept. <sighs> Good job. No, you did a great job. It's like you thought this through. Hey, you know what? It really bothers me when people are... People are rude. Every we all need a mentor to walk up and be like, yeah. "Hey, are you lost? Yeah, are you lost, little pal? Are you? Can I help you? Can I guide you through this little piece of your life and help you become a better, will, greater will person? Will you be my mentor at the gym? I can be your gym mentor. My dementor. Dementor. What did you say, gym mentor? Gym mentor. Okay. What do the dementors do? Do they like? They don't help. They work for Voldemort. I don't know Harry Potter. You don't. I don't. It ain't pretty. Is it Darth Vader in that movie? Yeah, Lord Vader's in a different movie. <laughs> the Lord of the Vaders. Oh, Scott, this is descending very quickly. It's falling apart. We're going to take a break. We're coming back with our, our real guest. Andrew Solomon's going to be joining us. Not that you're not a real guest. I'm just not the guest. You're not the guest. Andrew Solomon, uh, author of the book Fra- Far From the Tree, Parents, Children, and the Search for Identity. He's going to be joining us. Awesome, awesome insight ahead. Just stay with us, folks. We are going to get into parents and acceptance and accepting your children, loving them their way. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your relationship guide and uh, your coach on the side is our goal of this show to give you the tools that you need to be a better, healthier parent, healthier partner, a healthier member of our great community and society. Welcome to the program. And uh, again, this is a great topic today that we've been working on, this concept of acceptance. You know, we, we had a little fun with it at the beginning, but really 
we just need to start accepting people more. And, and, and how better to do that than in our own families as parents? So we have a wonderful guest for you today. I'm so excited to talk to him. Andrew Solomon is his name. He is the author of the New York Times bestseller, Far From the Tree, Parents, Children, and the Search for Identity. With that book, he was the winner of the National Book Critic Critics Circle Award. Um, he's also the author of The Noonday Demon, an Atlas of Depression, which he was a Pulitzer Prize winning finalist and winner of the 2001 National Book Award. Uh, Andrew Solomon is a lecturer in psychiatry at Cornell University. His journalism appears frequently in The New Yorker. The New York Times, New York Magazine, Travel and Leisure, and Newsweek, and The Daily Beast. You can also find more from Andrew Solomon at andrewsolomon.com. I actually first saw him on a TED Talk where he was talking about the role of parents and, um, you know, their, their need as a parent to maybe stop trying to fix their kids and start accepting them. So, Andrew, welcome to The Matt Townsend Show. What a pleasure to be here. It really is an honor to have you on the show. And the spirit of what you teach, I I could not love more this idea that um, we all come, I guess, to this world with a different, just a different set of abilities, skills, insights, and yet nonetheless, we're all very special and all need to be accepted. Absolutely. That was really the message of the book. It was trying to look at what happened when there were children who were in some way different from their parents and how parents go on a journey to acceptance. And I felt it was important to sort out the difference between love, which ideally is always there from the beginning, and acceptance, which is a process and you have to achieve it. I love it. So love should be there kind of always. And then acceptance is the idea that we it's, it's kind of something we need to learn and grow to learn. Absolutely. We get to know our children. They're not quite who we expected. We have to figure out how we're going to make sense of that. Well, and you even bring up the fact that we all bring these differences, but the differences, I mean, we all think, no, my kids are just like me. You know, they're going to have the same religious beliefs. They're going to be exactly like me. But the reality is the differences can be huge from, you know, deaf children who actually have a disability to just people that are different, that just have a different... I mean, what if you're a Democrat and you have a Republican child? (laughs) Heaven forbid. Exactly. Um, And my objective was really to try to look at cases of dramatic difference, like hearing families of deaf children and families of children with Down syndrome, families of musical prodigies who are also quite overwhelmed, but to illuminate the fact that I have yet to meet any parent who hasn't occasionally looked at his child (laughs) and wondered where he came from. I also like that you balanced, you know, kind of the academic research side along with just the great spirit of the book. Well, I really felt that what I wanted to describe had to be told in stories. I mean, the book has some statistics here and there, but I felt like statistics always pretend to be more accurate, Mm -hmm. but they don't really tell you what's going on. And in getting close to a lot of the families I wrote about, I interviewed about 300 families in the course of working on the book. I felt like those family stories really conveyed the emotional progress that people made. Powerful. Talk about, and one of the things you mentioned really on the first page of your book is you clarify the difference between reproduction and production. What, what, do you, what, what is that all about? 
The opening line of the book is, there is no such thing as reproduction. And I think that a lot of people, when they set out to have kids, think what they're doing is producing some kind of extension of themselves. <laughs> yeah. They assume their kids are going to be, you know, you have two people, you mix them together, and this is what you get um, as the mixed-up thing. And what I said is... Children, from the minute they arrive, are their own people, and they might be like you in some ways, and they probably won't be like you in all ways, and they may not be much like you at all. And you have to go into having kids with that awareness and not go in with the illusion that you're just making another one of yourself. I mean, reproduction, really, if you're reproducing, you're reproducing you, which honestly may not be a good thing. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Production may be a better approach that we're going to just produce something new, something something special. It's powerful. Exactly. now, get into some of the differences. If you, you, you talk to 300 families, and I mean, really, the differences you were to looking at are kind of more of the, uh, they're more very tangible, extreme differences. G- give us just a taste of some of the families you interviewed. Well, I started off with um, the families of deaf children because I really believe that deafness exists as a culture. And I met families whose children had sign language as their primary means of communication, some families who then learned sign language, some families who didn't. Then I looked at families of dwarfs. I looked at how they dealt with the fact that they had a child who was a dwarf. Most dwarfism is a randomly occurring genetic mutation, mm. and most dwarfs are born to parents of average height. Um, I looked at people who are transgender and how families deal with that. As I said, I looked at prodigies. I looked at um, people with schizophrenia. I looked at quite a range of things. And what I found was that each of these families, as they described their situation, was experiencing it as unique. Mm. And to some extent felt they had an affiliation with other people dealing with the same exact uh, syndrome that they were dealing with. But I found that actually parents of children with autism and parents of children who committed crimes, which is another one of my sections, and families of prodigies all had quite a lot in common. They They were all dealing with children who weren't what they were after when they decided to have kids, and they all had to figure out how to love their children. That's powerful. And I guess you also saw examples of parents that, I guess, couldn't make that jump. They, they, They struggled making the jump. I mean, it seems like love would be so natural. But maybe that is the jump to acceptance. Well, a lot of people struggled with the jump because I think the jump is a challenge. I think it's 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 a jump is what it is. Yeah. And um, a lot of the families then ended up being really grateful for lives they would have done anything to avoid. That was kind of the most frequent narrative. We were horrified by this, and then we came to accept it, and ultimately we came to celebrate it, and we love our child for who our child is. There was a lot of that. But there are also people in the book who felt otherwise. There's one woman I wrote about at some length who had a baby and just felt that she couldn't deal with having a child with such severe disabilities and gave her up for adoption. Hmm. She's had a lot of anxieties and regrets associated with that, but she also feels that it was the right decision. And there's one mother in the autism chapter who said, I have these children and I love them and I do what I need to for them, but if I had it to do over, I wouldn't have them. And I think anyone who tells you otherwise is lying. And I really wanted to balance the narrative and to have both stories in there. The book is mostly about people who found meaning, partly because I think that's more useful for people to understand, and partly because people who found meaning are a lot more interested in talking to a journalist about it than right. people who've rejected their own children. But both narratives are there. Did um, It seems like, so one of the things, that they, it, it was more about the fear or the, the sadness of what they could have been that really that they have to overcome is that, that feeling of, oh, it should have been more normal or whatever. 
the, the rhetoric that you hear a lot is you have to mourn the death of the imagined child. And I think that's a little melodramatic. Yeah. But I think it is true that people really had an idea, we're going to have a kid and, you know, I don't know, she's going to be a cheerleader, um, he's going to be a doctor, she's going to become the first woman president, whatever it is that they imagine for their kid. And they have to shift, quite possibly, all of those expectations, sometimes very profoundly. And it's a trauma. It's a trauma making that shift. But I found a lot of people came out on the other side of it and said that they were glad of where they had gotten to. They said, not only do I feel I love the child I have, but I feel having a child who is different in these ways has given me a richer engagement with humanity and has made me a better person than I'd be otherwise. Oh, yeah. You know, there was one family who have a child with Down syndrome um, who got very involved in changing the way educational services are delivered to people with Down syndrome. Um, and it really became their lives. And I said, do you regret it? Do you wish he didn't have Down syndrome? And the boy's father said, well, for our son, David, I wish he didn't have it because for David, it's a difficult way to be in the world and I'd like him to have an easier life. But if we took away all the Down syndrome in the world, it would be a real loss. Mm. And his mother said, I agree, I'd like to give our son an easier life. But speaking for myself, well, I would never have believed I could say this 25 years ago when he was born. Speaking for myself, it's made me so much more purposeful and given me so much more of an engaged life than I would ever otherwise have had. That speaking for myself, I wouldn't give up these experiences for anything in the world. Powerful. Wow. Um, did, did you notice a difference? It seems like, I mean, if somebody's body was seemingly normal and they were battling with sexuality, it might seem like that would be a different kind of test for a family than somebody if they were battling something that was obviously physical like dwarfism. Did you notice a difference? Well, I started off from the position that my insight into all of this comes from the fact that I am the gay child of straight parents. And as the gay child of straight parents, I dealt with this problem that I had a fundamental identity that was somewhat alien to my family. And it took them a while to accept me. I'm glad to say we all got there, but it took a little while to accept me. And I think when I was growing up, I sometimes felt those deficits in acceptance as deficits in love. And now having interviewed all these families, I feel like actually my family always loved me and they didn't take as long to accept me as some people's families do and it sort of gave me a feeling of peace about all of that oh that's powerful I then wanted to um, work from the idea that every group that gains some degree of recognition tends to associate itself with the groups that have gone before. So the civil rights movement for black Americans drew on the language of the women's suffrage movement. And the um, gay rights movement has drawn on the language of the civil rights movement. And I wanted to say, okay, I can talk about how our struggle has been similar to the struggle of African Americans, but I can also reach in the other direction to the next movement that's coming along. And so far as I'm concerned, that's the movement of embracing difference in all its variety, including disability. And I thought, we really need to reach our hand across to those people and to help those people to achieve a sense of self-actualization, self-realization, self-confidence, and to achieve a a position of being understood and recognized and um, acknowledged in our society as a whole. Totally. I mean, it's such a... uh it really is such a great work because I guess when it comes right down to it, this idea that so many people in so many different categories could sit there and actually, because they're not being accepted, could feel unloved. I mean, it's that's traumatic. I mean, that is that is a lot of people potentially that, that are out there alone. 
it is a lot of people who are out there alone. And one of the things people said to me when I, I heard people tell me their stories, you know, I went and talked to them. I asked them to remember all of the difficulties they'd been through. And sometimes I would say to the people I was interviewing, why did you decide to tell me your story? It's clearly very difficult for you to talk about. What made you think you wanted to describe it? And time and time again, people said, I felt so alone in these experiences. And if my telling my story will help someone else to feel less alone the next time, then it was all worth it. Uh powerful. We are going to take a break. We're talking with Andrew Solomon. Uh, from the, He's the author of from Far From the Tree, Parents, Children, and the Search for Identity. Really, go check out his, uh, his website, his blog site there, andrewsolomon.com. Powerful insight into this book. He's got wonderful videos there as well from a lot of the the, the voices from his book, the people that he had interviewed, and um, just a wonderful opportunity to learn and to feel the power of love, actually converting it into something um, called acceptance and opening up ourselves to understanding others. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back right here on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we have a very, very special guest joining us. Andrew Solomon is joining us, and uh, he's helping us with this this concept of acceptance. You know, it's one thing to love your kids. It's another thing to accept them, and uh, he's trying to help us sort that out. Andrew's a wonderful author uh, of a New York Times bestseller, Far From the Tree, Parents, Children, and the Search for Identity. He's the winner of the National Book Critics Circle Award. He's also the author of The Noonday Demon, an Atlas of Depression, which was a Pulitzer Prize winning uh, finalist with that book and a winner of the 2001 National Book Award. Andrew lectures in, in psychiatry at Cornell University, and his journalism appears frequently in The New Yorker, The New York Times, The New York Magazine, and uh, Newsweek as well. You can find more information about him at andrewsolomon.com. Highly suggest you go check out his site there and also start looking to some of the videos. He's got videos of some of the people, the voices from, I guess, the people that you interviewed, Andrew, during your writing of that book. Yeah, I re-interviewed some of them on video. It's beautiful. And, Thank you. And the whole purpose of your book, though, is is really to start to to just say, look, you're not here to have kids to make an extension of you per se, as much as it is that these are independent beings that we should love and appreciate and accept regardless of some of their, their differences. Exactly. Beautiful. So really to look at the way in which parents who are confronted with a child who's dramatically different from them in some way, who has an identity different from the parent's identity, how do they come to terms with that? And how do they manage to be the best parents they can be to those kids? And how do they manage to have the best lives they can as parents of such kids? Hmm. Is there, I mean, I guess it seems like it's it's probably a normal expectation for parents to kind of have expectations of their child, right? I mean, it's not like it's not like we're asking them to not have expectations. That's a normal parental thing, right? Well, look, there's a, a drama in all parenthood, which is that you have a kid and you change your kid. You educate him, you teach him to brush his teeth, you try to teach him a sense of morals and values, you communicate all the things you think are important. So part of parenting is changing your kid. You teach him some manners, hopefully. Right. Um, 
And then there are qualities in your child which you really need to accept and uh, to celebrate and to say, this is my child, he's not exactly like me or she's not exactly like me, but I'm going to see this child for the person he or she is and really manage to make him feel good about being himself. And what is the line between the things that you change and the things that you accept? Some things you obviously have to accept. You know, your child has been born with brown eyes. You can't make their eyes blue. And there are other things that you obviously need to change. If your child sort of dribbles down his front the whole time, you teach him to eat properly. But there's an awful lot of stuff where it's not so clear. Should I change it or should I accept and celebrate it? And I was interested in that middle territory. And how is it that parents who have got children who are different in some way figure out these are the things I'm going to correct, and these are the things that I'm going to embrace. It seems like if you spend your whole life trying to correct a child on something that you just need to be accepting, you're just prolonging your acceptance, right? I mean, it's like I've seen that with parents when they finally just accept their child's gay or they finally accept that their child has um, autism. I've seen parents so struggle. They don't want that. They don't want that. And um, But there's something powerful, I guess, when you can differentiate what we can change and what we can't. And I think that it results in a better life for both the child yeah. and the parent. I mean, one mother of a child with autism, for instance, said to me um, about her daughter, she said, Cece is the Zen lesson. Why does Cece have autism? Because Cece has autism. And what is it like to be Cece? Being Cece, because no one else is and will never know what it's like. It is what it is. It's not anything else. And maybe you'll never change it. And maybe you should stop trying. Wow. I mean, that is the Zen lesson, right? Yes. That is, I mean, and that's power in everything. And it's funny what we can become when we finally quit trying to change it. Yeah. We can just now just, you keep using the word celebrate, which I love that word, which is different than just tolerate. We don't right. want to just tolerate they're different. Actually, when you finally accept it, you, you, you sell things that we celebrate, we look forward to. And then some of the time you celebrate it for a while and then it settles in and you think to yourself, well, okay, so my daughter is a dwarf um, or my son is gay or um, my uh, beloved child is um, has Down syndrome, and you stop thinking about it as being the sole defining simple yeah. fact about them all the time. Yep. You've done your celebrating, you've achieved real acceptance, which often comes when it just isn't at the forefront of your mind yeah. anymore. It's not how you this define your it. kid. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. I mean, it's, we, every parent does that to some degree. Oh, yeah, this is my, this is my you know, math scholar. <laughs> this is my 4.0 student. This is the athlete. We, we always kind of put them in some category versus just eventually when we can settle in and make them, they're just our child. They're our baby. Uh, tell me, explain this vertical versus horizontal identity. It seems like a fascinating idea. Oh, thank you. The idea is that there are some identities that are passed down from parent to child and that families therefore have in common. So one's ethnicity is a vertical identity, one's um, nationality one's language in general, often one's religion. These are things that you grow up with and um, your parents help to reinforce them in you. So you can argue that it's difficult in the United States, as it's currently constructed, to be a member of a racial minority or a religious minority. Right. And yet, nonetheless, nobody is trying to cure 
yeah. racial or religious minorities because the family is there and it reinforces and it teaches the kids to have a feeling of pride in who they are. Powerful. And then there are these horizontal identities, which are called horizontal because you don't learn them from your parents or from the older generation. You learn them from your peers. So being gay, being deaf, being autistic, being transgender, these are all areas in which you have a quality that is alien to your parents. Hmm. Your parents probably have spent a certain amount of time trying to change it, <laughs> and you eventually find other people who are like you and discover some sense of identity with those other people, and it comes as this great liberation, maybe when you're an adolescent, maybe a little later on. So the, you, it, it actually creates a community for you with with like-minded or like-experiencing people that um, that's something you didn't have from your parents. Exactly. Wow. That, so what's the power of that? Like, it seems like, like you said, it's liberating, it's freeing. It also seems like you, you finally are you. You finally are free to be you. Yeah. Um, I think not to them, all free to be you and me. But, yeah, right. Um, no, but you're, you're all finally... of a sudden you're no longer just this oddity that's needing to be fixed. You're now a dwarf with fellow dwarfs. I mean, how powerful. And you need to have both. I mean, this is one of the things that gets debated all the time. Should children who have got differences of various kinds be educated separately? And I feel like if you've got a child who has, for example, intellectual disabilities, that child should spend some of his school time in a classroom with other kids Mm. who don't have those disabilities because those are the real world, and it's important for the kids to engage with the real world. It's important for the disabled kid, and it's also, frankly, important for the non-disabled kid to understand and recognize on a daily basis the humanity of someone whose mind doesn't work the way yeah. theirs does. But if you take the disabled kid and he doesn't ever meet any other disabled kids, and he never sees anyone else who's in his situation, he's going to be lonely because he's different from the other kids, and he isn't going to be best friends with them, even if they're nice to him. And right. so. You need to balance the two things. You need to exist in the larger world, and you need to exist in a community of people who have the same condition you have. Well, and that's the, the balance that people are always trying to find. Well, and honestly, everyone needs that, right? I mean, I need to be able to understand my own community, but also be out in, a, in another, you know, out in the world where I can hear other points of view, other ideas. Every human being needs that kind of that tension that goes between the two identities. 100% right. Perfect. We're talking with Andrew Solomon, uh, author of the book Far From the Tree, Parents, Children, and the Search for Identity. We're going to take a break, come on back, and uh, learn even more about how to uh, balance these differences in a way that we can actually create a beautiful feeling of acceptance. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're joined right now by wonderful guest Andrew Solomon. Andrew is the author of Far From the Tree, Parents, Children, and the Search for Identity. He's won a billion awards, and I don't know if that's true, but uh, he's won a lot of big awards. He's also the author of The Noonday Demon, an Atlas of Depression, which uh, made him a Pulitzer Prize-winning finalist and the winner of the 2001 National Book Award. This new book, Far From the Tree, Parents, Children, and the Search for Identity, is the winner of the National Book Critics Circle Award. 
He's a lecturer uh, in psychiatry at Cornell University, and his works appear in a, a bunch of magazines. I saw him in an awesome interview on TED.com, on TED Talks. You really, if you haven't gone to TED Talks, go look up, uh, go look up Andrew Solomon's talk on TED.com. It'll just change you. And then go to his website, andrewsolomon.com. He's trying to understand when parents have children that are different from them, how they kind of go about understanding um, and and growing and learning from just the stage where maybe they love their child to a stage where they accept them and um, and can celebrate them. And, and he, he did a lot of wonderful research as well on the book. So, Andrew, welcome again to the program. Great to be here. It uh, it's it seems like like you were talking about this vertical versus horizontal. So vertical identity are the things that we kind of the traits were handed down from our parents that make us like them. Um, you know, our gene pool. We we've got that where we are what we are. Um, some of the things that get handed down, we aren't like our parents, and that could be you know sexuality issues. Um, certain mental disorders, blindness, dwarfism, some of the other things are the, the groupings that you've, you've worked with. Help me understand one thing, because you call those the identities, but I mean, what is, what, what does this do to our identity when I'm not like my parents, I have something that's different, and then I go to my group of people that have the same difference. Is my social identity more tied then to the horizontal group of people that are like me? Or, or, or can I stay also connected to both? Where does the identity, social identity come from? Well, I think ideally it comes from both. Um, and I think there are many people who uh, ultimately want to be able to, to pull those worlds together. So I was very struck when I worked with deaf kids by how different the experience was for the deaf kids who primarily communicated in sign and whose families had learned sign. Hmm. And one mother said to me, we had two choices. We could try to get him to talk, in which case communication would always be difficult for him, or we could try to learn sign, in which case communication would always be difficult for us. And she said, we're the parents and he's the kid. Hmm. and We're the ones who need to take on the difficulty, and that's what we decided to do. So I think it's great when the parents are actually able to reach out. And I think... Almost all of the conditions I talked about and many other conditions I didn't talk about, yeah. you can think of as an illness or you can think of as an identity. Okay. And one of those shouldn't erase the other. No. It's just that we have a hard time seeing them both at the same time. Yeah. But you can say the downside of something is the illness side of it and the richer part of it is the identity part of it. And all of these syndromes can be described in both ways. Powerful. And it's uh, like you say, I mean, this knowledge of understanding it as an illness or an identity, it, it really is good for both the the person carrying the illness or identity as, as well as the parents. As soon as the parents can get to a point of accepting it, um, it changes them, it changes the child, it changes everyone involved. It does. And, you know, it's great for kids. I mean, we all want to be accepted by our parents. We, none of us want to feel like we're basically a disappointment to our parents. And so I think parents who are really loving have ultimately to say, okay, I wouldn't have set out to have a child who had schizophrenia. I mean, that to me is one of the most thankless of all of these conditions. It's nothing that I would ever have wanted. But look, that's what I have, and that's what I got. And, I mean, as one mother as someone with schizophrenia said to me, she said, I feel really bad that she had to go through what she went through, 
But I also recognize that if she hadn't, she wouldn't be who she is today. Mm. And who she is today is the most wonderful, charming, beautiful woman. And I think there's really a sense that parents ultimately get to that, to that point. And when they do, it's, as I say, a liberation both for the kids and for the parents. It's, um, it, it seems like a, something that we also do with somebody. If, if someone in your family has cancer, it seems like at first you reject it. You don't want to go there. And then there's this beautiful evolution that happens when you, when you start accepting it. And you don't even keep framing them that way. You're kind of beyond that. Um, this is just a stage. This is just life, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, you have to be aware. I mean, my, my mom died of cancer, and it was tragic. And I certainly don't in any way want to say that that's comparable to the experience of many of the people right, I'm writing no. about in my book. But having said that, there were certain intimacies and certain qualities um, that emerged in my relationship with her and my brothers and even my dad, so they'd had a very long and happy marriage, I feel like there was an intensity that got introduced by the process of wrestling with cancer. So would I have chosen for my mother to die of cancer at 58? Certainly not. She no. wouldn't have, none of us would have. But given that we didn't have any choice in the matter, we were then able to find quite a lot of meaning in the experiences it introduced us to. Which is really what it sounds like this is about, is um, intimacy, meaning, and and if we're too afraid, I guess, you know, because we've categorized our, our child's differences or disability as something that's not healthy or, I mean, bad, then all of a sudden I'm going to approach that child different than the point where I actually just am willing to risk getting close to them. Right. Hmm. So, it's, I mean, as I say, it's a question of also trying to get rid of some of those um, uh, those words of judgment, right. um, uh, which I think mostly are just destructive. You know, I even yeah. looked at the families, as I said, of people who commit crimes, um, who obviously, you know, the family would not have chosen to have the kids who were criminals. And it's not that the families have to approve of the crime. Right. But if the family spends its whole time saying, my child did something terrible and I can't accept what my child did and so on and so forth, it doesn't accomplish anything. It doesn't make the crimes that have been committed go away. It doesn't necessarily prevent future crimes, if you engage with your child and try to understand, okay, why are you like this and what is your experience like, then you have a chance actually at some kind of salvation. Hmm. Is that, and I guess, so help us understand the difference in your mind then between love and that, that level of acceptance. Is that that process of getting to know the situation, you know, from their frame of reference? What's the difference? You know, love is to a large extent a matter of being fully engaged with someone. So um, what they do has an effect on you um, because you love them. It's your child. You want your child to do well. You're full of hopes and dreams for your child. You are willing to make significant sacrifices so that your child can have a rich and good life. But you can have all of that going on, and you can have that feeling of self-sacrifice. You can have that feeling that it just gives you pleasure when you see your child and are in the room with your child and still spend the whole time telling your child what's wrong with him and telling him he has to fix it and feeling discontent and angry because he isn't able to or he doesn't choose to or whatever the situation may be. And acceptance is when you say, possibly you say, this was not what I set out to do, but you are who you are and I'm... I'm thrilled about it. I mean, there was one mother who said to me at one point, I was doing an interview with her, and she said toward the end of it, she said, look, if someone had said to me, Betty, how would you like to give birth to a lesbian dwarf? I wouldn't have checked that box. (laughs) She said, 
but she's Anna. She's the cornerstone of our family. She's had a very steep path, and she's climbed it with so much grace, and I love her and admire her with all my heart. Wow. I mean, that, tell me that's not what life's all about. Yeah. We just, I mean, tell us more stories. I'm sure interviewing these people, you probably had your mind stretched quite a few times. Do, do any stand out as, as other moments where you thought, wow? Yeah, I mean, there are a number of them that really stood out that way. Um, where even to begin? I know. Um, there is certainly the story of um, uh, the woman who had a child who was transgender and who um, was basically drummed out of the town that she'd lived in, um, in the Deep South because of this transgender child and had to go move to another town and go into hiding. And she couldn't work in her career field because she didn't want anyone in the new place to know where she'd come from. So she had no references and Mm. she had her life really come apart. And she said to me, and I've sort of read it over so many times and I can pretty much recite it, but she talked about how hard it was. And she said, I don't love my daughter less for mourning over this, but I miss my mom. I miss my sister. My daddy's grave is back there, and I just have to hope other people are putting flowers on it. Um, But if I knew this was going to happen, I would still adopt Kelly. I'm the lucky one, because honestly, if it weren't for Kelly coming into my life, I would have never entered this bigger, more beautiful world where I've met you and so many other wonderful people. And she went on from there, and it just, it was so courageous. She had been through such a trauma, and yet she was still so, um, she was still so connected um, to where she'd come from. That was wonderful. I mean, there was one of the stories that I've now told um, uh, uh, a number of times in talking about the book, but that's still very vivid to me, was a woman who had two children, a woman and her husband, the two of them obviously had two children who were very severely disabled. They had multiple severe handicaps. Um, They couldn't walk. They couldn't talk. But this family was very connected to their children. And the mother always described as a moment of clarity when she had just gotten the diagnosis for her first child. She'd never been very religious. And she said, I want to get him baptized. And her husband said, well, okay, but why? And she said, as a way of asserting that he's a human being too. Oh, wow. So they did that. And eventually, one of the children tragically died because of caregiver neglect. And when they um, uh, uh, had the internment of that child's ashes, um, the mother said, let me bury here the rage I feel to have been twice robbed, Mm. once of the child I wanted and once of the son I loved. And that, I thought, was a wonderful expression. He wasn't what she wanted, but in the end, he was what she loved. Yeah. Um, that was the that was the voyage. Now, not everyone was able to articulate it in a single tight sentence right. like that. You know, that was pretty amazing. <laughs> that is but amazing. But it was a sentiment that I encountered over and over again. And a lot of people who, once they'd gotten there, I mean, I did one chapter because I wanted to look at sort of really deep trauma on families bringing up children conceived in rape. Hmm. And I interviewed one woman who had been brutally raped when she was 16. She had had this baby. She had not been able to finish the education she hoped to have. She never became a doctor. She dreamed her life had been completely turned upside down, and it had been done in a way that was really terrible. Um, And she was very traumatized by it. But when I met her, she was in her 50s. And she had finally made some kind of peace, and she had made peace with the child who came with it. She'd made peace of the whole thing. And I said to her, do you ever think about the guys who raped you? And she said, well, I used to think of them with anger, but now I think of them sometimes with pity. And I said, really, pity? Thinking she meant because they were so uninvolved. And she said, yes, pity. She said, because one of them has a beautiful daughter and two beautiful grandchildren, and he doesn't know that, and I do. And so as it turns out, 
I'm the lucky one. Wow. I mean, isn't that amazing what the insight that you that you get when you allow your heart to be open enough to create acceptance? Yes. And it's a journey. It's a real yeah. journey. And it was an honor and a privilege to get to be accompany these people on part of that journey. It's it's sacred ground, isn't it? You got to sit there in every one of their stories and kind of notice that sacred space. Yeah. Powerful. Um, we've got a couple more minutes, but tell me how this has impacted your own family, Andrew. You've got four children. Um, what, what have you learned as a dad? You know, I think what I've really learned as a dad is to be more accepting of my children. Now, I say that, and actually this afternoon my son was being um, <laughs> unusually rude and disagreeable, and I'm not sure that I was being my Squash most accepting him. and That's loving right. self. <laughs> yeah. um, so, you know, try to live by what you Yeah, you sound human, Andrew. Uh, oh, no, certainly <laughs> not that. Um, but I really think, uh, in part, it gave me the confidence to have children. You know, I had always wanted to have a family. I felt as a gay person that I might not have a family. I then worried about whether I would be able to love my children and take care of them. And in a way, working on this book, I thought I've met so many parents who loved so many children under such difficult circumstances. And whatever children I have, I'm going to be able to love them for who they are. I think it made me feel much more confident. People kept saying, but you're writing a book about everything that could go wrong. Surely that's turned you off parenting. And I said, no, actually, that's what's turned me on to parenting. It's exactly the opposite. So that was the the experience. And I think with my kids, I try very hard um, uh, to really see them for who they are. And I try very hard to, um, to instill in them a sense that uh, all of humanity is valuable and that there's nobody who deserves to be written off. Um, They don't deserve to be written off and neither does anyone else. Love it. And man, we're going to end it on that. That's all of humanity is valuable. Nobody deserves to be written off. Um, And there's so much to learn. There's so much good when we'll open up our hearts and not just love, but I guess love and move our love to a more um, understanding place as well. Everybody, go check out Andrew Solomon's website, andrewsolomon.com, and go get that book. You will not be let down. Um, Really, he knows. Far from the tree, parents, children, and the search for identity. Thanks again, Andrew. Wonderful spirit. Appreciate it. And uh, we're going to catch Andrew again when he comes to to Utah for a visit. We're going to get him in the studio here. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We're going to take a break. Come right back. We're talking acceptance as parents right here on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking about acceptance, and uh, we've been we've been spending a lot of time talking about acceptance of our children, uh, which is you know essential. Hello, and also we're talking about um, just kind of even some of the the things that we used to not understand or believe. Some of the racial divides are being brought down. Um, I mean, just the mere fact that we have a president that is a black president in the United States is a humongous 
I never thought I'd see change. it. Change. I, I mean, that is so – honestly, regardless of politics, that is so cool. That's a big cultural barrier. Huge barrier. And then, you know, can we accept it? And I think it's forcing us to do a lot of, a lot of thinking. Now, here's what you have been researching for us, right, Bryce? Some cultures apparently are actually – Dying, is that the word? Disappearing? Disappearing, fading. Let's go with fading. fading. Yeah. A fading culture. Like some of them are like indigenous people. Like they're just – the modern world is sort of taking over their zone. Yeah. You're encroaching. It's like the deer population. It is like the – yeah. Here in Utah. We just keep finding ways to either get deer – I mean there's certain cities in in Utah that can actually – you can – Get the deer. If the deer's in your yard, you can now shoot the deer. It's your deer. It's your deer. It's your deer. Yeah. Yeah, no. So there's, you know, uh, our world, it, we don't really, there's things that we just, uh, that aren't important to us. Yeah. We're not really all that concerned about, you know, someone's great, 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 great grandfather and what he did. Right. And so there's, you know, there, there's cultures that die because they just. We're not. Paying attention. We're not paying attention to it. And then and if, if no one's telling the stories and no one's valuing the stories, then all of a sudden – and you, you're losing the traditions. Then all of a sudden, boom, you have no culture. And Gone. I, and another big one is is that um, languages are, dis, are sort of disappearing. Um, there's this guy, Wade Davis. Yeah. Um, he said that uh, when, when – a long time ago uh, – he's 50, 60 years ago, okay – there are about 6,000 languages spoken on Earth. Okay. I'm going to assume 6, more. 6,000. But okay. we'll, just, we'll just work yeah. with 6,000. We'll just work with his figure, okay? He says, now fully half are not being taught to school children. Wow. Good example of this. Hebrew. Yeah. There's not like... Right. That's gone. Hey, by the way, in school, I learned Latin. You did. It, also it, dead language. It's a dead language. I'm like, I spent all this time and it, it's a dead language. But... Great if you need roots to words. Well, especially if you're going to the medical field. Yeah. Like I didn't. Well, Mm-mm. but when I go to the doctor, I kind of I know what a lot of you're those like words. that. That, has that to... sounds Latin for death. That's corpus, like body. Okay, <laughs> uh, something's broken. <laughs> so it helps me at the doctor's office. I mean, well, useful, but like when once the language disappears, I'm I'm going to say what I've noticed is once the language disappears, culture disappears. You're done. Well, somebody I heard somewhere that they were saying German. Is even starting to slide because it's not an you know it's not as popular of a language. Yeah, it's just. I mean, think about it. if you could go choose, and we did this with our kids: Spanish, Chinese, or German or French to take in high school. What would you go with? I would go with Chinese. My son went with Chinese. My yeah. other son went with Spanish. Boom. Spanish also a good one. If if you're in the Western Hemisphere, Spanish is a good one to go with. Everyone else has got to use English, right? So come on. Does uh, what was the this guy uh, Michio Kaku? Is that he got his name right? He sounded right. He's a futurist, and what he says is he's like, you know, uh, Chinese and and Spanish and and all, all these other languages are good, but. English is the trade language. So it's, if things it. keep going as they are, really, it'll probably take over. He well, thinks. I don't know. See, that's interesting because when you think about <laughs> – I mean English is great and all, but it doesn't necessarily mean we have culture. I know, right? <laughs> I speak English. We're What's tr- up with my culture? Our language is, I guess, trumping all of these other countries with so much culture. <laughs> so much cooler culture. So I kind of feel a little guilty actually yeah. now that Isn't that sad? Up. We have Miley Cyrus though. Uh, we do. Did you know she was Hannah Montana? Um, 
hold on. You know, it seems like some cultures should just disappear. You know, maybe Chinese should just take over. Maybe we should just say, hey, Chinese, <laughs> Talk about you guys culture. take it. Exactly. You guys go. All yours. Yeah. Well, we um, we actually went to Wales. My wife did a mission in Wales in um, Great Britain. In uh, – what do we call it? In – UK? The UK. UK. And I know you'll get beat up if you say the wrong yeah, thing. Yeah, you will. So place. I want that to be right. I so we we loved it there. We stayed there, but they speak a whole different language, and they don't necessarily use vowels in all their and words. They don't, and it was amazing. It was like a whole different culture in the UK. It is a different culture, yet apparently it's fading. We're losing the Welsh. They're going away. They're going away. Sad. Other, you want to hear? Here's some other civilizations. Have you heard of the Olmecs? No. Yeah, Didn't they make a vacuum? Um, oh, no, that's the Oryx. The Oryx. Okay, so that was different. But we can we can give them that. We maybe they made them, the first vacuum. Maybe they made the first vacuum. But they vacuum. disappeared? The Oryx? The, <laughs> the Oryx, yes. Oh, the Olmex. The Olmex, they're gone. Um, another one, the Nabataeans. I didn't even know they were a thing. No. Um, These are all cultures that have died. And also, like, not only not only have they disappeared, but, like, we don't even know about them. Like, oh, that is sad. not until we're talking about it. What if they had the cure for cancer? Actually, you know what? Culture gone. Culture gone. Or again, another good example. You've heard of the the library at Alexandria over yes. in Egypt. Apparently, that had every had all kinds of good stuff, but oh, it was it gone burned down. Oh, burnt down. Burnt down, and we were were sent to the dark See? ages. So yet we think we are so advanced. We think we're cool. So but. some other ones though that disappeared. This is what I think is pretty interesting. Anasaz the Anasazis. Anasazis. They're gone. The Khmer Empire. I've heard of that. Khmer Rouge. Uh, I think. Different. <laughs> I don't know. I think yeah. One's Cambodia. I think the other one is uh, Afghanistan, India. Border. Clovis. Clovis. Yep. I don't even know. That sounds like a spice. The Minoans. I know Anasazi, what that is. The Indus Valley Civilization. All gone. Because <sighs> we, what? We don't accept them in? What? We overwhelm them? What? I, I we know just, what's destroying our culture: cell phones. I was going to say, Hannah Montana, and and Hannah Montana. <laughs> so sad, but so true. Um, okay, so uh, anything else about the uh, culture and the changing? Well, so here, so here's the good news. Okay, so a bunch of cultures may be disappearing, but <laughs> but yeah, here's fine. the silver lining. All right, yeah. we're sort of. Accepting other cultures. It used to be that they just disappeared, yeah. gone poof. Yep. Now we're all kind of like smushing together. Well, we are. And there's other new cultures. Like yeah. years ago, there wasn't a culture of Mac users. That's true. Right? That so was now, not a thing. That wasn't. So now I don't we, know if we're better having that thing. I don't know. But that's not my call to make. No. But we have Mac users. We have also um, – uh, have you ever heard of uh, – PGS, pre-Gangnam style and post-Gangnam style. Um, I guess that's our new way of – like we had, you know, um, the, the birth of Christ. Yeah. Or, that's not and then, right. and then Which they have changed to the common era, BCE. Yeah. Oh, is that – I did not know that. See, when you're out of school, you quit learning this um, But now we're going to have before the Gangnam and after <laughs> the Gangnam. That's is that what we're going to do? Yeah. Is that what we're going to do? No. So, so, so we're accepting these cultures. We're, we're bringing things together. One of the big things – that even, you know, what, 40, 50 years ago, people people with different skin color couldn't get married? Yep. Well, in 2000, 
the U.S. Census Bureau changed one of their little policies uh, for your ethnicity, for your race, whatever that box is, you are allowed to check multiple boxes. Really? Okay. See, that actually seems like a big mistake. Well, it does seem I like – I mean it actually seems very accepting. Yeah. But now all their data is shot. Well, exactly. And, and that's what a whole lot of people realize is they're like, I'm – well, I'm actually a few of these. I'm like five things. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I bet that – I bet they're like, who who okayed that? Who okayed that you could have five different ethnic backgrounds to go by? I mean, like, should we say pick top three? I don't know. But yeah. but they said right when they released it, like, like 6% of people answered it. Next year, 32% of people answered it. So it's like, okay, that's a big chunk. And now, okay, that's an enormous chunk. What is going on? That's fascinating. So we're, we're now no longer one ethnic group. We're now three, well, six. I mean, what it used to be was uh, that whole idea was based off of what? Johann Friedrich Blumen, Blumenbach? Ooh. Okay. I don't know. I don't know. We said German's going away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Apparently. apparently it's going away right here. Um, but like when he when he put together the whole idea of categories, yeah. uh, it was red, yellow, brown, black, and white. So I'm going to say- oh, a color code. Yeah. Are you yeah, red, yellow, yeah. black, brown, black, or white? Oh, that's messed up. Yeah. So we're doing a lot better. Yeah. We're now, doing a lot better. Now you can have a variety. Powerful. See? That's progress. And- uh, we lose some cultures. We win some cultures. We, now we smush them together. But I guess let's be careful because I'm not sure we're winning the culture war anymore. Well, no offense to Miley Cyrus. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back, keep pushing this idea of acceptance, and uh, maybe figure out a little bit more how to, uh, to create more acceptance in our lives and in the lives of our families. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today, we are talking about acceptance, parent-child acceptance. You know, as a parent, you just got to accept those little rugrats, those crazy little things you brought to this earth that carry your DNA and are now here to test every ounce of your willpower. Ooh, that sounded scary. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Today, we are um, talking right now, in fact, with Mark Waite. From uh, BYU Broadcasting Show Through the Garage Door, he's a rock and roller, drives a hot rod, and buys every latest techno fad there is. Nobody needs more acceptance than Mark Waite. Mark, welcome to the program. I, do you accept me, Matt? I totally do. For, for just who I am and no, what I am? No. And... Nope, I don't. No, I do because you are you are a dad. How many kids? Three? Three boys, all of them entering adulthood. So talking about adult children, this is a new thing for me. It's a yeah. new discipline, trying to transition from raising little children. Who are to cute, by the way. Cute, cute little kids. They were pretty cute. Yeah. yeah. Then um, they turn teen and they're not so cute. Uh, yeah. And then they get cute again when yeah, they're then, adults. Do they? Uh, now trying to learn how to raise adult children, completely different discipline, so much more hands-off and yet – not completely hands off. You want some direct. You want to direct them, right? They still need guidance. They still need some insight from yeah. old daddy. You know, I, I think of this arc that as a newborn, you're making all of their decisions. Yeah. 
as a 21-year-old, you're making none of their decisions. <laughs> and there's this continual decline Is from it? 0 to 21 in how much control you have. Yeah. Um, maybe some people accelerate that curve a little too quickly. Right, drop them Maybe off. some never let, let, go. let, let it go. That's, uh, a great, that's a great metaphor, really. That I mean, it's about your ability to control kind of drops – but your influence could go up, right? I mean, well, you, you have to find so. another way to influence them other than the control side. We, yeah, you know, we call it counseling and advice and that sort of thing. It, this is timely for me because just day before yesterday, I had a talk Did with you? my oldest son. Oh, how old uh, is he's, he? Now? He's twenty-three. I yeah, guess. so he's well on his way. He's uh, he's living at home. Both I, I have two sons, uh, twenty-three and twenty-two, living at home because yep. they're saving for college. Okay. That's the deal. Smart. You pay your tuition. You can live at home. You know, uh, free room and board. Yeah. That's how I'm going to help you with school. Great. So he was living out, but he he moved back to start saving up um, for college. Uh, and then a twenty-year-old who's in the Philippines on an LDS mission oh, wow. right now. So, so three he's the boys. Easy one. He's the easy one, right? <laughs> for now. Yeah. And like I've I've been very open with them. Our favorite child is the one who's not with us. Yeah, the one on the mission. Yeah, the one on the mission. <laughs> then you just write he's, a letter. You each had your turn to be the favorite yeah. child. Now it's his turn to yeah. be the favorite child. Anyway, so oldest son. Uh, just Saturday, I kind of – I wouldn't say blew up because that, that's, that's too much. But uh, we had a talk. Really? A pointed talk. And it started out pointed where I started out with, you know, you're breaking the rules. You're, you're eating in your room. Yeah. There's all these Denny's cartons in your room and I've told <laughs> you to only eat in the kitchen. Um, you know, you're not emptying the trash. You're not pulling your weight. You're not mowing the lawn. Yeah. So you're kind of screwing up. Right. This is unacceptable. You're cracking the whip. Without a whip, uh, I'm reproving betimes with sharpness. That's good. Let's I think call there's a scripture that. that way. Okay, that's um, good. But then it transitioned over to the real point of it, which is uh, we've not been approving of his girlfriend recently. Interesting. Now this is a tough. This is a tough one, Matt. Yeah. And I'm, you know, usually I come in here and I blow V8 yeah. and I have very definitive, this is right, right. that's wrong. Here, here, Now we're entering difficult waters where I'm not sure what's right and what's wrong. So you, you, he's got a girlfriend. She's probably had. Oh. Up until Saturday. But let, let's just say okay. he's been stringing this relationship along. But you weren't I, fully accepting this I was not accepting the relationship. Now, yeah. this, is, this is a tough thing for sure. parents. Because I think most people would do the smart thing and the easy thing and just realize, look, you can't say anything. Yeah. You let can't him, say let anything. It just, let it just roll. It's, you know, it'll tip over. Let it follow its course. But yeah. I'm just seeing too much misery out there, too much divorce, yeah. too much who gets the kids for Christmas. I have too many friends who are paying years of child support. Um, so I think the easiest, safest thing to do is to never mention anything yeah. about – a boyfriend or girlfriend, because then it could really come back to bite you. Because then, say they go ahead and get married, right. and now you know that there's going to be a wedge, even though you never said it directly to right. the, the, the spouse. You know it's going to get mentioned. Oh yeah, because yeah, it'll come down. Yeah, my dad doesn't even in a, know in a, in a heated moment. Well, you know, my dad doesn't approve of you, and he said this and this <laughs> and this. And now there's going to be a wedge between me and my the, my yeah. daughter-in-law forever. That will never go away. Right. So that's the safe route: is to just never say anything. Stay away. On the other hand. You couldn't do that. You were feeling something. I'm sure this girl would have been great. I wish her good luck. I just wasn't feeling it. I had this bad feeling. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know? And I will be hornswoggled if that's <laughs> if that's the only swear word I can use. <laughs> I will be hornswoggled if I'm not going to say something about the 
biggest decision these kids are ever going to oh, make. Oh, sure. All of their future happiness hinges yeah, yeah. on this one critical decision. Well, don't you and I'm think, not going to just shut up no, about you're not, that. But don't you think – this is kind of core for the – or par for the whole course here. You Parents know a lot about what they see. We can and see you the can forest see for the trees. That's right. You're not can. caught up in all that emotion. They're too close. So you, so you need to be a guide. Yeah, how to Even do that. Even if they don't want – that's the key, huh? How do you walk it? Well, I think, you know, overall, the, my main parenting philosophy has to come down to your kids just have to know that you're crazy about them. Yeah, that's it. And it has to be genuine. Yeah. I've, I, you know, you see parents kind of talking baby talk to their kids. And, yeah. Oh, isn't this precious? And you just like – you're rolling your eyes and go, that doesn't feel like genuine right. affection. Yeah. But my kids, whatever faults I have as a parent, which are many, all three of them, they know yeah. that I'm crazy about them. See, that's the power though, huh? Because once they know that, you, you, have, you have the influence. Even if you can't control right. their outcome of their decision, you can at least say, look, at least – All of the piece, all the big pieces generally fall into place as long as they know that. Now, mm-hmm. if you don't genuinely love them, I don't know what to say. That's right. I, I, don't, I don't know what the answer is. Luckily, <laughs> thank heaven. What did Luckily, you say? both my wife and I are crazy about all yeah. three of our kids. But you must have said something. Well, you know, the, the initial dad coming down on him and telling him he's screwing up and not carrying his weight, that started off the conversation on the wrong foot. But eventually, I, I got to the point where it was just him and me in the room where I had to say, look, some parents maybe care too much. Maybe some parents don't care enough, and I probably skew toward the caring too much thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I got emotional. I'm feeling a little emotional right That's now great, about yeah. it because I just don't want to see yeah. him live that life of quiet desperation that I've seen in from some of my friends. Oh, yeah. See, you care. And he felt that. Boy, and if you however, marry the wrong – However you said it, you, you, felt you could it. take the sharpest person in the oh, world yeah. and they marry the wrong person. Off. Their whole life is kind of spiraling into this weird trajectory, yeah. and I, I've just I've seen it. I mean, it sounds intolerant of me. Well, but you I've just were, seen no, too, but too you many, were too seeing much signs in his own life because his own he wasn't even he wasn't even living the way he knows to live. Yeah. He wasn't even doing the things he committed Empty to do. The trash. Right. So the, just those simple signs were already telling him he already knew he was off. Something was off. And so I think if they genuinely know deep down at their core, mom and dad love me. Yeah. No matter what. Then you're in a position to say, look, this isn't working. I've got to tell you the way it's got to be. Yeah. And, you know, I, I guess some parents never, ever want to be the heavy. But yeah. it's my job as the dad. Yeah. You know, mom is always the sweetheart with them. She does anything <laughs> they want. They love uh, mom. She's too yeah. permissive. Yeah. And it's always been my job to be the heavy. And uh, I accept that responsibility. Yeah. It's not always pretty, and, and sometimes I feel But you bad. weren't a brute. I mean, you may have started as a brute, but you ended with love, yeah, which is it, probably what sold the deal. I transitioned to a moment where I got choked up because when I realized, when I'm trying to visualize his future, uh, I, it, it really touched me. Yeah. Then everything melts. Yep. His heart, in yep. an instant, yeah, in the, yep. goes from uh, anger and defensiveness to... Compliance and humility, and uh, it turned out to be a, a great talk and, and significant. And, and he made a commitment. Yeah, you know what? I've kind of been stringing that relationship along. It's over. 
Hmm. Uh, I mean, he would never even really introduce her to us because he knew that it wasn't right. Yeah, he knew that. it wasn't. And I just thought, you know, I want desperately, the desire of my heart is that all three of you boys find a sweet, cute, kind, loving girl who will accept us and we accept them. I can't stand the thought of 30 years from now, the wife rolling her eyes and going, well, I guess it's we got to go to their house for <laughs> Christmas. Yeah. Uh, let's oh, yeah. get this over with. Um, I want them to be as fond of us as we are of them. Yeah. I want daughters-in-law who are telling our sons, hey, let's go see your folks. Right. Maybe I'm asking for too much, no. but that's my that's what I'm hoping for. Well, and I think what's so powerful is he he knew. And you just – all he, you did was – He knew it wasn't right. He knew. And I finally at some point I just had to say, I, I've got to tell you, it. I don't. I don't feel good about this. That's great. I feel sick about this. Which is huge because on the show of acceptance, it might be easy to just say, come on, Mark, you just need to accept what your son's doing. And But, you're, but there's a part of this that says there's probably a higher principle than acceptance, which is love. So you almost have to love them enough to say, let me give you some other feedback that you might not be getting. And maybe – It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be uncomfortable. And yet he couldn't doubt your love. Right, and you because that started that, the emotion. I mean, that love, that genuine affection, has been around for twenty-three yeah. oh, years. Yeah. See, but that's you—you've built that for that's years. a foundation. That's a solid yeah. foundation, where I know that he's never going to be estranged from us. But if he is forced to be estranged from us because of his wife, yeah, that's a tragedy well, how do you that choose, I can't right? comprehend. Well, at once he has a wife and three kids. Then he has to choose his children and his parents. That's a yeah. crazy choice. Well, I mean, and this happens, and it's it's tragic, and, and it always makes me sad when I see it. And I just am hoping for something better for my, for but you, my kids. You did it, and you didn't even go in there with a plan, really. You just were No, gonna, I was just mad. You were winging <laughs> I was just mad going in. You know, I, just, I learned something really interesting about emotion that says emo- – I mean, so we have emotions uh, evolutionarily. So we don't get T-boned by like some – mountain lion that's going to eat us yeah. and we don't fight or flight we, we don't miss a great opportunity but also the reason we have these emotions is so that we're present in certain moments so these the emotions tell us which moments matter most so what's interesting in all of your discussion you could have gotten in on the denny's thing because now what he's just advertising denny's in your house leaving all that junk all over <laughs> well, the just all, you know, all these uneaten french fries in a but you styrofoam take the container yeah you could have stayed on that but that wasn't the issue yeah. there was a deeper issue where the emotion was which is what i bet you a thousand bucks finally brought him present in that conversation yeah. when dad shows enough to care emotion to show his emotion and show that he cares he that was an attention getter that says i got to pay attention to this this is for real and his response once his heart melted was that you know, com- that you guys, you dad, you mom and dad, you yeah. guys are everything, and this girl is not. She not can't begin to, to measure up to that. Yeah. And so you guys are what matters. That's huge. You're the permanent part of my yeah. life. Yeah. And she's temporary. And so, yes, I see now that I need to make it officially. I need to officially move on. Man. And start looking for uh, a different relationship. No, but that's – that's I think that's the point of the whole show. You just you just hit it. We finally got to it in this I think the F block. 
You hit the nubbins right I on the I want the A block next time. Next time we'll get you Can the A block. Can I have block. the A block? No, the A block, Bryce. we just kind of spin. <laughs> Wait, hold on, because we've got to do a two-hour show. So, like, if we put you in the A block, if you hit the truth so hard <laughs> Too early, and fast, it's really just what else am I going to do with the show? I got you. Okay. But the love, the love sells everything. You can't fake it, but that also comes from 23 years of you working it, too. And not being afraid to have the discipline. The, the love is not independent of right. the discipline. Right. And so my philosophy has always been, for better or worse, and yes, I, I, I blow my philosophy quite often, <laughs> but the idea is always the genuine affection, always the hugs, the wrestling on, on the yeah. living room floor with my boys. You know? Yeah, always have time for that. But when they have goofed up and they know they've goofed up, there's no way I'm letting that go. No. That's not that and you don't does not fly under the it, radar. You? you but you're not going to also not not talk about it. Well, I mean, I'm you know, I'm not a perfect dad. I get mad at them. Yeah. I, I yell at them well, no, sometimes. Yeah. I mean, as they were younger, I, I would yell. But you you're know, not teenagers. just there to browbeat them and say, "See, I told you." No, it's not about winning. It's yeah. about getting them to acknowledge, "Hey, yes, I know I goofed up." Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, it's not always a pretty, you know, it doesn't always end well. Yeah. Uh, they stomp off to their room and and scowl for a while. But uh, you you can't can't shy away from your look. Parents were made parents for a reason, and kids were made kids for a reason. And as far as far as I understand, since the dawn of time, parents have been in charge. Yeah, parents call the shots. Yeah, no, I've seen that in the manual. And if you live on a farm two hundred years ago, <laughs> you little Jimmy, you're going to go out and milk the cow, and you don't have a say in the matter. No. I will force yeah. you. To go milk that cow. Because if you don't – if we don't all do yeah. our thing, we die. We sure. die of starvation. Right. And so you will go milk that cow at 4 in the now morning. Now you can't even get Jimmy to drink his milk. We live in a different world it, now yeah. where the kids run off to their room and play their Xbox and, and we have less control yeah. over certain things like that, which is very frustrating. I love that. More of a challenge. Well, and I love that you make the point that it's – you're going to say something. You, you, you can't – if you really love them, you're not going to watch them spiral into – in, inappropriate behaviors. Yeah. I it's, it's your huge. job to be in charge. Well, and be in charge with that and then, love. And then, and then let control go ever so yeah. gradually from zero oh, yeah. down to 21. Well, That's so the, a gradual slope. Well, there will be the day, though. As teenagers, I still said, you will go mow yeah. the lawn right now. Don't you think, though, if it's now, the right as, girl? As 21, I say, now they're 21, I say, will you please will mow you the please lawn? please mow the lawn for this that? afternoon. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to say, or I'll take your car and your phone right. and your house away. Right. Um, don't you think that now you're at a point where um, – I don't know. It seems like if your son was dating the right woman, he'd be coming to you to ask you. So you, you sometimes we have to go with the love and like ring the bell a little bit on them. And sometimes it seems like if we do that enough and we know – they know that they're going to be loved regardless, they'll even show up and start asking you, OK, dad, I'm really thinking about this one. I hope so. What do you think? I think I think that'll be the day. That'll be. By the way, scariest moment in the world is when they're getting married, where when a guy's coming to ask my daughter for her hand, me for her hand. Scariest. I'm glad I have no daughters on earth. I know you're sending them. It's yeah. your fault. It's not my problem. That my daughter. Not my problem, Matt. You deal with it. You had the girls. But then, by the way, same way when he when this guy came and asked for my daughter's hand, again this peaceful, loving, beautiful. It was the most, I saw more love in this boy's heart for my daughter than I could have ever imagined. And not just like yearning chemistry because I would have squashed that. Just love. He wants to be with her forever. 
Yeah. And you feel it just like you do with your son. Okay, we can go ahead with that. Yeah. I'll accept this. Yeah. Where's and, the dowry? And until yeah, and we we have to give the dowry. <laughs> what do what do you come to this relationship with, son? <laughs> yeah. What are you bringing me? Do you have a cabin we can use? <laughs> Um, good job, Mark. Man, is this the kind of knowledge we get on Through the Garage Door? No, we don't talk about relationships. We keep it light. And it's you talk about, about rock and roll music. Superficial things on Garage Door. Well, man, you're profound. Okay, Mark, when is Through the Garage Door on? I think it's weeknights at 9 Mountain. 9 Mountain. Look at our uh, – go to byuradio.org for schedule listings. And get more knowledge, but not knowledge, uh, superficial light banter. From Mark and Don. And great music. And great music. By the way, the rock and roll music that is so hard for some of us to accept. Well, I mean, your parents couldn't accept it probably. Oh, no. Well, we're we're breaking down those barriers. You're breaking them down. (laughs) Good job, Mark. Wait, appreciate you, my friend. Uh, Thanks, Matt. We're talking acceptance, and apparently love is the foundation there. Love's going to sell it. And love's going to give you the strength to uh, probably genuine say... Genuine affection. Genuine affection. And say yeah. what you need to say, but also say it in a way that they can hear it. You softened the heart. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. Wrapping up the show today about acceptance, you know, about understanding other people's cultures, their background. Man, parents, just accept your kids as well. But to wrap up the show, we decided to play a game. You know, a lot of different cultures, like um, if you're in the film industry, they have different jargon. If you've ever worked with the military or the armed forces, they have a lot of acronyms that most of us wouldn't even know or understand. So we decided to play a game. Uh, basically, the game's called Do You Know Their Jargon? How clueless are you? Yes. <laughs> do we have our game show music? No, we don't have our game show music. No, we do. Hold on. We have game show music. Oh, no, we can't play it. We can't play do it. Do you we know? Can't play it. <laughs> we can't play it. But So the whole idea of this game is jargon from different areas. Just, you know, it, it's their own little cultures. These, these okay. industries have been around long enough that they have their own cultures. Right. Um. So uh, throw them out there. So here, here's one. Here's one from film. Um, what is? Does anyone know what Grip City is? Ooh, Grip City. Uh, no, uh, I do know where <laughs> Grip City you do? is. You it, do? When you go to New York, um, it's, sometimes it's dirty, and um, you get a little sticky, and it's called Grip City. Grip City. You stick to everything. Yeah. There's a lot of gum it on have the to be sidewalk. Just New York. It could be any large city. It could That's be. So it should be L.A. What is Grip City? Um, <laughs> that's, okay, it's the area designated for lighting and grip equipment. So it sounds like a pile of poles and lights yeah. and oh, wow. pulleys. Okay, who would have thought that? That's silly. <laughs> um, here's, here's, here's another one. Okay, we're going to go into – let's go with some business jargon. Okay, I know business Okay, jargon. you know business? Yep. <laughs> um, what is sweat equity? Do you know Hannah Montana? Um, probably has something to do with sweat. And equity is what I was thinking. Excellent. So it has something to do with the words used. Okay. Good I, guess. I like where you're at. Uh, it's when you don't put actual money into an endeavor that you're trying to build and instead you just put your energy, your efforts, you work on it and all that work and effort becomes sweat equity. Huh. You know, speaking of business, I actually heard one the other day. What does it mean to be like cash poor? That would be me. 
That would be me too. No, cash poor. You but know. it means it means you don't necessarily you have money, so but you don't you have, have cash. Yeah, you don't have cash or... flow. So you need so you, your cash is already probably designated for some other use, and so you can't use it. So you you don't have enough money to just buy what you need because it's already allocated to other things. Okay, because like I, I saw it in like a, a heist movie, and someone was yeah. like, "Yeah, well, we may have gotten all this money, but we have to put it in offshore accounts, so yeah. we're cash poor." Cash They're like, poor. Haha, "We're cash yeah. poor, holding millions of dollars." Yeah. I didn't get it. it. You can't, you can't play but. with the money because it's already tied up. Okay, um, that's my life. That's what's another one? <laughs> oh, here's one I like. Ten four, Hannah. What's that mean? I'm pretty sure Matt knows. I know this one. But I if I use the phrase, if I say ten four, when a ten foot person and a four foot person go to the gym. Oh, uh, four ten foot people. What about eight five foot people? <laughs> yeah, no, that's not that's not even close. That's the dumbest thing I've ever. No, um, 10-4 is what we say on the radio jargon. There's about ten, one hundred. There's a hundred and other numbers you can add behind ten. That's how you communicate on the radio a certain code. But ten four means got it. Yeah, over gotcha. Ten twenty. 10-8, go 10-8 means go get ready. I think mine made way more 10, sense than 10-50. 10-50 means it's an auto accident. 10-50 PI means it's there's an accident with a personal injury. I know all of these. I was wow. MIT. Thank you. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, because you had to use Yeah, yeah, yeah I used sense. to I used to carry dead people. That makes sense. Anyway, I, I use 10-4 all the time. Everyone's kind of like. So I feel like this is like slanted towards Matt. Well, not really. Saying. I think okay, it's just on. that I'm older. Okay, let's go, let's go more to film. <laughs> um, I'm just older. But you were close on the 10-foot person and the 4-foot person going to lunch. Okay. <laughs> Hot set in film. What's that mean? Um, that all of the equipment has been on too long, so it's really hot. The set is hot. I think it's because – I think it's when you have to put your nails on. Like attractive people have walked into the room. Yeah. And there's someone like, hot hmm, on the set. Hot, hot set. Hot set. set. <laughs> yeah. Bryce is on the store. Bryce is on the stage. Hot set. Something like that. Well, actually, Henna was really close. It just means that there's active filming going on. Oh. So you're close. So huh? they are probably generating heat. I don't know mm. if oh, well, if one's but... 10 foot and one's 4 foot, for sure. Then, sure. Okay, another film. Um, where's one? The film one, we need Merit. Martini shot. Well, that's why Merit did this. The martini shot. Good job on Merit for injecting us into a culture we yeah. know nothing about. She's, hey, do this culture, and then she left us, which I find quite rude. Martini shot. What does that mean? A martini shot... This one kind of makes me sad. <laughs> okay, because I was going to say, if, it's, if it involves an alcoholic beverage, you're talking to the wrong show on the wrong station on the wrong location. Well, um, it's the martini shot is the last shot in the production for the day. Oh, because that's yeah. where they share the martinis. At, Maybe. And then they go have happy It's more like, hey, we just finished filming. Yeah. Let's go hurt our livers. Back over on BYU television, they have what's called a, um, a root milk beer. No, root beer. Shot. Milk shot? Yeah. What about what about the root, root beer, beer shots? Shot? That sounds more like what yeah. BYU would do. Did Sky just walk in like the way he just leave? walked in, dropped off his stuff, and left? He's like, "Oh, I don't know what's going on here. I'm going to leave." He felt awkward. We were not very accepting of him. Yeah, I should have. Accepted um, okay. We could have smiled. Uh, let's see. Let's see some military jargon. Oh, I'm what good is, at this too. What is what is a wall? Oh man, do you know what a wall is? W O L. Yeah. So, I first thought is a wall nation, which is banned. But yeah, a wall is when you like have gone off the grid right like yeah you're not really you're, it's like when you're absent without leave and you're not supposed to be yeah like, absent like they went a wall then they got shot sometimes yeah because they were a wall i've seen that in movies yeah that's what i thought yeah. just movies. without leave kind of absent yeah 
That's a, yep. a wall acronym. <laughs> Everything in the military is an acronym. Okay. Uh, or, or it could mean, you know, you kay. almost got shot. Political jargon. SCOTUS. What is that? Do you know? I'll let you go first on that one. You know, this is sad. I've taken a lot of political science <laughs> classes, but I, I don't know what that Have is. you ever had a SCOTUS removed? <laughs> Supreme Man, Court go, of don't, don't the United about States. Your Supreme Court, yeah. SCOTUS. Yeah. Supreme is Court it? of the United States. Okay. Oh, why didn't I? That's harder. Okay, Hannah, I got some for you. What is, um, what is uh, TTYL? Oh, see, I don't know these. In internet jargon. Oh, talk to you later. What is BTW? Bring the wood. By the way, come yeah, on. I know, no, I knew it was oh, by the way. I oh. was just, I couldn't well, stop laughing about by the way. <laughs> bring the wood. Bring bring the wood. It's like in Alaska when you're freezing and you're like, bring the wood. It's like, freezing. BTW. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. Any others? Those are easy. Uh, what about FAQ? Facts. Frequently asked <laughs> exactly. questions. It was weird because that's actually become a word. Here are the facts. Frequently oh, yeah. asked questions. Yeah. It's not a good one. Um, what about this? HTH. H D H T H. A bomb. H T H. No, not a bomb. No, it's it's hope this candy. helps. Hope this helps. Candy. H-T-H. Oh, that's cute. H T H. Hey, what about what about this? Do you guys know your elements? No. Okay. Um, what is what is uh what is F E on your periodic table of elements? Faith. Nope. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that is you not know, what it is. I also worked in a biotech lab for a year, so this is really sad. Really sad. Bad Femur. Hannah. Okay. Okay. Let's start easy. What is H? Hydrogen. Good job. What is H-E? Helium. And then what's after that? I don't know. M for mercury? M-E for mercury? M-O-U-S-E. Different. <laughs> Mouse. H-H-E-M-M-O-U-S-E. <laughs> <laughs> okay. F-E, iron. Iron. I knew that. What about the letter K? Uh, K would be... Candy with the K. K would be... I don't know. Potassium. See, that makes no sense to me. It doesn't, though. Like it really does. No, I had to memorize this once upon a time, and I think it's just yeah. been blacked out. Okay, here's another weird one. Lead. What is it? F-E. P-B. Oh, F-E was iron. That was iron. You're, right, you're in the right zone. I'm feeling it. I like so, like, just think totally Well, we've learned wrong. a lot. I really think we've learned a lot on the show. I don't know why that had anything to do with it. A, a, appreci- no, acceptance. See, accept- we need to accept everybody's differences. So what Merritt did was she didn't accept us into her film yeah. you know, She was trying to trick world. us and try to show us that and we didn't know. And then she dumped us on me and said, hey, one, two, three, go. Thanks, Merritt. But she did teach <laughs> us that this is a hot set. So we're going we're gonna to wrap it up. Folks, thanks for listening to the show today. Remember, we need to accept people, especially our children. They may come at us with all this jargon and all these funny little writings from their little Twitter account. But you know what? They're still uh, needing your love. They're still needing your acceptance. We hope today with our guests you've learned a lot about uh, acceptance. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back tomorrow with more tools, more ideas to give you a leg up in life. This is uh, the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio.